go through a couple, hopefully, quick announcements before we begin. Uh, this Saturday at 8 o'clock a.m., uh, the men will be here. Amen. We're going to take care of those bushes, one way or the other. They're going to die. <laughs> Amen. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> At that last day, right? <laughs> so be here at 8 o'clock. Uh, bring work clothes. I'd uh, be ready to work. Amen. Amen. Well, sprinkling is okay? Excellent. Okay. It's sprinkling. Don't jump in the sower. Uh, you'll get it on the way. Amen. Uh, just a quick sound system update. Uh, we did have all the pieces, and I was in the process of assembling everything, making sure everything worked before I started tearing into this one. Uh, but I had a faulty uh, piece that's integral to the uh, video system, and so I had to return that. I'm waiting on that to come back. As soon as that comes back, uh, immediately following the closest service after that, which gives me as much time as I can get <laughs> before the following service. I'm going to be tearing into that and putting the new one in. Uh, everything seems to be working just fine. And so uh, as soon as that happens, there is going to be uh, training that will be taking place. Uh, those that are involved with the sound system, uh, we're going to have a good time. Amen. We'll have that uh, nailed down tight so that absolutely nothing ever happens again. You believe that, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably uh, that's what we're hoping for, but we're probably going to have problems. Uh, so just expect that. Be patient with us as we get those ironed out. Uh, they will get ironed out, uh, those that do pop up, and we will move forward in the plan of God. Amen. Uh, I will take this opportunity to remind us again that uh, we do have prayer half hour before every service, and I want to encourage us to take full advantage of that, because especially on a Wednesday night, you know, we come in, uh, we've had a full day. We've had all kinds of things, good, neutral, bad, uh, that we've dealt with, situations that we're probably still thinking about as we walk through the doors. And if, if we give ourselves a little bit of time before the Lord, before our service begins, uh, we can kind of clear our minds of all of that stuff and start focusing on what God wants to do in our service. And so I want to encourage us to, to avail ourselves of that uh, before every service. Uh, it's it's just a, a good practice, and on a positive note, I think that's a positive note, but also, uh, I really appreciate the fact that this church loves fellowship, and I, I truly mean that, especially like when when we're downstairs uh, having a meal or something, we have the, the, the last time we were down there, I can't help but just kind of step back at some point in there, and just observe everybody, laughing and talking and enjoying the food. It really reminds me of like a Thanksgiving Day dinner with family. And uh, it's, it's just really, really, it blesses me. It blesses me to, to see that, that this church family is, is so close and, and, and desires that kind of fellowship. And I, I pray that we never lose that. I mean, one of the most overt signs of a healthy church is they stay afterward and talk. And this church most certainly does that. And I love that. I love that. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> God wants to do something wonderful here in our Wednesday service. God doesn't care that it's Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday night, Thursday morning. 
He's here and He has a desire to do something for us. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer and ask that that would come to fruition. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You for this opportunity You've given us. You didn't have to give any of us another opportunity, another chance, another day in which to serve You, but You did. We desire to use this day, the remainder of it, in service to You. Help us, Lord Jesus, to focus on You, to hear Your voice, to feel Your touch. This is Your service. We acknowledge that readily, wonderfully, happily. We look to You, Lord Jesus, the Lord our God, for direction, for leading, and for guiding, for ministration tonight. Help us, Lord, to minister unto You with our worship and praise and giving of thanks, that we will wait upon You. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us tonight to serve you with our obedience, with our submission to the Word of God. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify you. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High. Because you are worthy. You are altogether worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will worship you with our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us tonight. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Praise God. What a delight and an honor it is to enter into the presence of God, to lift up His name. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. For those of you that uh, haven't memorized a verse of Scripture ever, or maybe you haven't in a while, you will tonight. John 11 and 35. <laughs> See, one already did memorize this. Jesus wept. It is the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, packed full of meaning as we find often in the Word of God, Jesus wept. When a friend urgently texted Florida mom Stacy Philpot about a Facebook post she just had to see, she wasn't sure what to expect. The post showed a teenage boy standing alone at the flagpole, and it seemed as if everyone had something to say about him. That's when it hit Stacy. She was looking at her son. As a blogger, Stacy Philpot spent a good amount of time online, so she decided to take a little break from Facebook. But then a friend sent her an urgent text about a post Stacy, quote, wouldn't want to miss. The post showed a boy standing alone at the flagpole praying as part of See You at the Pole Day. This yearly event encourages students everywhere to gather at their school's flagpole to, pl to pray for their school, friends, families, churches, and communities. Usually the event draws a crowd, but at Mineola High School, only one young man turned up. The brave boy stood, all alone, praying by himself. A passerby was so touched, they snapped a photo and posted it to Facebook, saying, quote, I commend the young man that stood alone at Lake Mineola High School's See You at the Pole Day. I welled up in tears, happy tears, proud tears. I honestly didn't know what, that it was today until after I had left and heard it on the radio. Please take a moment today to pray for our children, school, teachers, and administrators. Pray for protection over them, guidance, wisdom, and a wonderfully blessed year. Unquote. Comments poured in, praising this young man for his courage and his parents for instilling such good values. Even folks who professed no faith commended this boy for standing up for his. At first, Stacy couldn't understand why her friend insisted she break her Facebook hiatus, hiatus for this picture of a boy standing alone at the flagpole. Then she realized and recognized that this was her son. The little boy I'd rocked to sleep in blue airplane pajamas when he was sick. The toddler who loved Elmo and couldn't go to sleep without holding his VeggieTales characters in his hands had captured the attention of our community by standing alone, by doing everything we'd ever taught him, everything we'd ever hoped he would do. Stacy said, I was completely undone. Stacy immediately texted her son, Hayden, and told him how proud she was of him. But what he revealed when he got home was even more incredible. 
Hayden was just as surprised at all of the attention as his mom was. He'd originally thought he'd just pray until someone else came along. But when no one else did, he asked God to use him. He told me with sheer amazement in his voice that as he stood alone and prayed, the cry of his heart had been, God, as people drive by, let them wonder. Let their hearts be pricked. And boy, did God answer that prayer. There are people out there that don't understand why we pray. They see it as wasted effort. But Hayden proved just how powerful prayer truly is. And his proud mom says her son's story is a big reminder for us all. Wherever it is in your life, you stand alone. God sees, he knows, and he can do big things. Amen. We'll be talking today about uh, continuing with spiritual warfare. Uh, We'll be talking about warfare praying. Warfare praying. As you might imagine, uh, if we talk about something like warfare praying, it's a little different than simply praying over our meals or uh, praying with our children as we go to bed. Those are good prayers to pray. We ought to be thankful for the blessings that God gives us, the food we receive. We ought to be praying with our children when they go to bed at night. Uh, we ought to we ought to be praying blessings upon our children, upon our family. But warfare praying is uh, that's something a little bit different. It's it's a it's a different it's the same office, but it's it's a different result. It's a different goal. And so, uh, hopefully, by the end of this lesson, I'll be able to spit that out a little bit better. <laughs> Amen. If we look at the nation of Israel. We see that uh, they had came to Egypt in the time of uh, Jacob, Israel, and Joseph. Uh, a few hundred years later, they were in slavery. They were in bondage. And so they began to cry out to God for deliverance. They believed, at least, that God could deliver them. They believed and hoped that at some point they would be free from this. And sure enough, at some point, God sent a deliverer in the form of Moses. Now we read in Scripture that he was not immediately accepted. He was not immediately recognized as the man of God, as the person that God would use to pull them out of bondage. Everything lined up. Everything fit. But they couldn't believe it. They couldn't really accept it. And even as they were marching out, there were people in the crowd that were not exactly on board. We see this more and more prominent as time goes on. They march out of Egypt grumbling, complaining, Every single opportunity they had to trust in God, every single chance God gave them to turn to the Lord for help, they did the exact opposite. When a problem arose, a situation came up that they couldn't take care of, their first and only response was to go back to bondage, to go back to Egypt. They either could not or would not trust in God. Their responses demonstrated a complete lack of faith in God. Their faith was in Egypt. For whatever reason, when a situation arose in their lives, the only thing they could turn to, the only thing they could hope in or trust in, is their life in Egypt. They had forgotten everything except the leeks and the onions and the garlic. This continues until they get to the River Jordan. Moses tells them, send spies. Spy out the land. 
So the spies come back. Most everyone here knows the story. Ten spies give an evil report. The land is a good land, an exceeding good and fruitful land, flowing with milk and honey. They brought back this huge thing of fruit as an example of what we can expect when we get there. This is the promise. This is the promised land. This has been over 400 years in the making. It was promised all the way back in the time of Abraham. Before he became Abraham. And now God is finally to the place where He's going to give them the land, the promise. This is the fruition of 400 years of God working with His people. And they come back after God has demonstrated time and time and time again His miraculous power. His complete power over any circumstance and situation. Everything they faced, He took care of. Everything. He took care of all of it. And when it came time to cross into the land, they reverted to type. We can't do this. We can't take the land. Of course, they were absolutely right. They couldn't. But there was no hope in, in the God that walked with them, that fought for them. There was no turning to Him. There was no recognition of what He could do, what He promised that He would do. None of that. All they could do was say, this is impossible, we're turning back. And they were going to stone uh, Joshua and Caleb because they wouldn't, they wouldn't give the same report. All these poor schleps could do was say, this is a great land and God has given it to us. The inhabitants are bred for us. They recognized something that the others couldn't. That God fought for them. He has been with us this entire time. And He will continue to be with us if we'll submit ourselves to Him. But they didn't. And so the result is that God locked them out forever. That generation that refused to believe God was to march around in the wilderness until they dropped dead. They repented. The very next day, they repented. We're sorry, we sinned. We're ready to go. But Moses warned him, don't go up. God is not with you. He was with you yesterday, but not today. Today it's too late. Today, your entire history, you couldn't believe God. Your entire history, you demonstrated a complete lack of faith in God. And now you want to go up after God told you. You're not going up. Even in this, they continued to disobey God. They, they continued to not submit to His plan. They kept doing what they wanted to do. And they paid the price for it. Unbelief. Unbelief cannot be in our hearts. When we're talking about warfare praying, any kind of praying, unbelief, can it's got to be as far away from us as possible. We see it all through Scripture. When we trust in God, when we put our faith and our hope and our confidence in Him, things go well. Things go great. Not necessarily immediately, but they always end up exactly where we would want to be. When we don't 
when we cannot believe God, when we will not trust in Him, things fall apart. They completely fall apart. Trusting God is more than verbiage. Trusting God is more than saying He's my Lord and Savior. Trusting God is more than quoting a Bible verse. Everybody trusts God when things are easy. Everybody that professes to know God, every Christian in the entire world, quote-unquote, that professes to be a Christian, they all trust God when things are going great. Everyone does. It's easy to trust God when everything, when there's nothing to trust Him for. Then we can trust God. There was no grumbling in the nation of Israel when things went good. It was only when they ran out of water, when they got tired of the manna, when they were trapped in the Red Sea, when things were not going their way. Now we start the grumbling. Now we can't trust God anymore. Now God has forsaken us. In our lives, church, we are going to have opportunities to demonstrate our faith and our trust in God. In that day, let us do well. Let us trust in our God. We can trust in God even when things go wrong. Especially when things go wrong. I think a lot of times He puts us in situations where we have to trust in Him. And that scares us to death. But it ought not scare us at all. If we truly believed that God can take care of this, if we believed it here, and not just here, when things are going good, we would have no problem. Now, I'm not saying we're going to enjoy ourselves. We're not going to throw a party in the midst of that situation. But we can have peace. We can understand that of a surety, He's going to take care of this. And I'm going to come out awesome. I'm going to come out as pure gold. Amen. But that's if we put our trust in God. If we don't, you're going to go through it anyway. But now you're on your own. In our scripture text, the situation, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, became ill. It was told Jesus, hey, your friend Lazarus is ill. He said, okay, thank you for letting me know. And did absolutely nothing about it. It was only after he died that he decided to, to head that way. And when he got there, of course, people were mourning. People were sad. And Jesus began to ask some questions. Do you believe even now that he could be raised from the dead? Yeah, I believe that he will be on the last day. When he came into town, someone told him, Lord, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. They believed him back here in the past for a healing. They believed him in the future, that God was going to raise up everybody at the last day. But there's nothing you can do now, today. There's nothing you can do now.
And the Bible says that he wept. The people misunderstood and thought, oh, how he loved him. That's not why he was weeping. He was weeping because of unbelief. Unbelief causes the Lord to weep. This account is very interesting to me because he waits until the situation was absolutely impossible. Jesus waited to address the situation until it was absolutely hopeless. And now he wants to do something. Let me tell you something that you guys already know. There's no hopeless situation with God. We certainly in our own power have all kinds of hopeless situations. There are all kinds of things out there that we have no hope to to affect in any way. Someone gets cancer. We have some treatments available. I don't know how effective they are. Uh, Sometimes the cure is worse than the, the, the disease. But... We have stuff we can do, but after that, we're done. It's hospice. There's nothing else we can do. Someone gets hit by a truck. There's not a lot I can do with that. But God can. God can. Whatever the situation is, it is not impossible with Him. When we talk about warfare praying... We're talking about praying for souls. We're talking about praying against spirits. And in those situations, we can't change, we, we can't do anything with that. But through prayer, we can move the hand that moves, we can move the hand of God into that situation. That's what prayer does. Prayer moves God into the situation. And when God comes, it's taken care of. This impossible situation was the exact same thing. But they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe him. In this case, however, he does it anyway. He calls Lazarus out of the grave, and he comes out. demonstrating his power over an impossible situation. The people were absolutely dumbfounded. They were struck silent. They didn't know what to do with that. He had been dead for three days. It was hopeless, but he took care of it. God's attitude toward unbelief. In a word, He hates it. He hates unbelief. If we look at the nation of Israel, when they demonstrated unbelief in not crossing the River Jordan, in not crossing over to the promise God had had prepared for them for 400 years, He made them wander until they were dead. And then he told them, to add insult to injury, the children that you said were going to be prey, they're the ones that are going to take the land. Unbelief in God's promises is unbelief in God. And there's no good way to say that. We believe in our hearts that either he's a liar or that he simply can't. He wants to, but he can't. Now, when you and I make promises, sometimes that's true. I wanted to be there, Brother DeMuth, but my car blew up. I can't, I can't make it on Saturday. Okay. 
<laughs> Don't anybody's car blow up. We won't believe you. <laughs> yeah, get your oil change on Friday. But there are situations that come up in our lives where that may be the case. It will never come up in God's case. There's no situation that can arise that, that would cause God to not be able to make good on His promise. Nothing is going to surprise Him. Nothing is going to overtake Him. Okay? He will always be able to. If He promised something, He will most certainly make it good. His Word has to come to pass. Not just that it will, but reality is such that it cannot not happen. It has to happen. God spoke the Word. It has to happen. Reality is going to be rewrit so that it does. That's just the way it is. He is that powerful. Unbelief in God's promises is unbelief in God. Unbelief is responsible for prayerless Christians. Those Christians that can never quite find the time to pray, can never quite find the time to, to read Scripture or to study it. I'm just too busy. I'm just, I just don't have enough time. Well, that really falls short, though, doesn't it? We all have the same amount of time. It's just how we're spending it. How do we spend our time? The reason we don't pray, the reason we can't find time to pray, is because we don't believe it works. Because I promise you, those that believe that it works, they're exercising it. They're after it. They're praying. Because they know something. They know prayer works. They know, they know the power of prayer. If you're not praying, it's because you don't believe it works. You don't believe that it, God is going to hear me. You don't believe God's going to do what I ask. That's, that's it. It's unbelief that causes the prayerless Christian. It's unbelief. Now, that's what needs to be addressed. Unbelief is responsible for prayerless Christians. Unbelief is responsible for weak and anemic Christians. Again, because they're trusting in their own abilities. Because they can't trust or won't trust in God. If I don't believe that the promises of God are good, let me say it this way. When I encounter a situation in my life, and I come to the place where I cannot do anything about it. I have two options, basically. I can turn to God and let Him handle it. Or I can try to face it on my own. Get help from someone, get help from the government, get help from whoever, or handle it myself. Those are my options. When I trust in God, and I bring it to God in prayer, here's how that typically goes. Especially if I don't have a specific promise. If it's something to do with provision, I have a promise for provision. If it's something to do with healing, restoration, salvation, I have specific promises for those. And I can pray boldly. If I don't believe I have a specific promise, then I am relegated to, Lord, if it's your will. And there are times where we do need to know God's will. We need to know His direction. And, and that's, a, that's an appropriate prayer. But if that's all I ever pray for everything... That's not an effectual, fervent prayer, folks. That's not warfare praying. There are some things we most certainly know God's will on. 
And we ought to pray that boldly. If I'm praying for someone's salvation, and I'm sitting there, Lord, if it's your will, let him receive the Holy Ghost. Lord, if it's your will, forgive him today. That's ridiculous, right? We know what God's will is. So we can pray boldly. We ought to be praying boldly. And we don't pray boldly because we're arrogant. Not at all. We pray boldly because we understand the God that's going to answer. We understand the certainty of God's promises. That's how we, that's why we pray boldly. That's how we can have a bold, even a reckless faith. A stupid faith that would just believe Him for everything. Wouldn't that be cool? We don't have to be weak or anemic, especially in situations and circumstances that come against us. We have a God that walks with us, that fights for us. He's promised us that He would stay with us. He's promised that He would fight our battles for us. Now, there are a couple quid pro quos there. We need to be submitted to Him. We need to be following after Him and serving Him with our lives. We need to be giving Him everything of us. And if we do, we have a promise that God is going to give everything He has to us. Amen. Unbelief is responsible for failure to accomplish the will of God. To accomplish the will of God in your life, you're going to need God to help you. God is going to give you ministries. He's going to give you tasks that are so far beyond you, it's going to make your head spin. And that's good. Because now, I can't do it myself. Now, there's no way, if it does happen, there's no way people are going to believe that I did it. They're going to know that God helped me. And that's awesome. That's beautiful. The things He's given us as a church to do are very well beyond us. But that's fine. When the nation of Israel was told to cross into the promised land, they were correct in their assertion that we can't do this. We can't do this. But God can. And He will if we'll trust in Him. Instead of unbelief, we ought to have faith. Luke 18, verses 1-8 through 8 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. First of all, concerning faith... We need to realize what our faith does not stand in. We don't believe God because He's answered prayers in the past. Now that certainly helps our faith. We certainly want to see the answered prayer, but that's not why we believe in God. That's not where our faith resides. It's not an answered prayer. And our faith does not also reside, also does not reside, in the measure of faith that I've received. Well, I'm just not receiving an answer because I don't have enough faith. So-and-so must have more faith than I have because they're getting answered prayers. Again, faith is not a quantity that we can measure and, and dole out. Okay, That's not how faith works. We all have enough faith. We have all received a measure of faith sufficient from God. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And that's where our faith needs to stay. 
in the power and in the authority of Jesus Christ and in his character that he can and will answer us in our time of need. That's where our faith resides. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Not in past answered prayers, not in someone else's answered prayers. Because what if, what if your prayers aren't answered for a while? How are you going to be importune in prayer if you can't continue to trust God even though He doesn't answer? Or says, wait. Faith stays the course. Faith will continue to knock. Faith will continue to ask, continue to seek until the answer comes. It will not give up. People have prayed for lost relatives for 20, 30, 40 years before they even made a move toward God. But they were faithful in praying. They continued to bring those names before the throne of grace. Prayer doesn't always get answered immediately. And when prayer doesn't get answered immediately, those who lack faith drop off. The answer must be no. He must not be hearing me. I must not have enough faith. Prayer doesn't work. But faith keeps pressing. Faith keeps believing. Faith will not take no for an answer. If I have a promise from God... I won't take no for an answer. Because God promised it to me. I don't deserve it. I'll be the first to admit that. I don't deserve any good thing from God. I have no right to be asking anything of Him. I don't. Except that He gave me a promise. And He wants to do that. I don't know why. I don't get it. But He does. And He wants us to receive that. So I want to receive it. I want to receive every good thing He has for me. Everything He has for me is good. So when He gives me a promise, I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to pray boldly until I receive it. When Daniel prayed to receive the, the revelation, it was heard the first day. But it took three weeks to receive the answer. Why? Why? Because it was hindered. There was a spiritual war going on. Coincidentally enough, that's what we're talking about tonight. So maybe your prayer is being delayed for a reason. Keep praying. Keep pressing until you receive the answer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. It is God's desire for us to be in a constant state of prayer. Now, that doesn't mean we're in our prayer closet 24 hours a day. Okay? We understand that. But we always have an attitude of prayer. We're always in some way, in communion with God. When we're talking with someone, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. If someone's at, they have a question on Scripture or something, I'm kind of praying under my breath or in my mind as they're asking the question. God, give me wisdom. Help me to answer this properly, etc., etc. I always want to be, we always need to be, in a constant state of communion with our Creator. We need to be receiving from Him. We need to be listening for Him, always. He can talk to me anytime He wants. He's God. I'm His servant. That's part of prayer, too. It's not, okay, God, 7 o'clock or whatever time prayer is, I'm, I'm here to pray. 7 o'clock to pray. Here we are. If you're going to do something, do it now. Uh-uh. No, sir. No, ma'am. I don't tell God what, what the deal is. He tells me what the deal is. He directs me. 
And if he wants to wake me up at three in the morning to tell me something, praise God. I need to be, I need to be awake enough to, to listen to God. If he wants me to go up and start praying, I need to be obedient. Three o'clock in the morning, twelve thirty, whatever, you know, whatever. I need to be listening for his voice. I need to be following his direction. Why would he wake us up at three in the morning? Doesn't he know that I gotta get up at six? Yeah, he probably does know that. I think that I think that's a safe statement to make. But he did it anyway. So let's trust him. We need to be always in a state of prayer. Okay, application. Warfare praying is direct and specific. When we're praying, warfare praying. It's not nebulous. It's not ethereal. It's not these wishy-washy, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, God, 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 God. Amen. You know, uh, that's, that's not a very effectual kind of prayer. Um, Praying is direct and specific. It has a plan. It has a purpose. I'm praying for someone. I'm praying for the city. I'm praying for God to do something uh, in the spirit. I'm praying uh, against demons and devils. I'm praying against rulers of darkness of this world. I'm praying for God to do something here. I'm praying for God to do something that we can't do. That's warfare praying. I'm praying for the souls of people. We're praying. We're interceding. It is perhaps, intercessory prayer is perhaps the highest form of prayer. Certainly the prayer closest to God's heart. That's the purpose he came, is to seek and to save that which was lost. To give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. And so when we give ourselves to enter into that purpose, that mission, in prayer... Folks, prayer is the most potent thing we have. It is the most powerful weapon He's given us. The most versatile. When we enter into a place of prayer and we begin to truly get a hold of the throne of God and pray, there is nothing that can resist that. Absolutely nothing. Every revival that you read about in history, every single one of them began with a period of people falling on their face before God and praying. Every single one of them began in, a, in a, a heated time of prayer. <clears throat> without question, without fail, they began in prayer. Everything that happens spiritually, everything that happens according to the plan of God that God desires or that He does do in a person's life, in a family, a city, whatever, begins first with prayer. It has to. It has to. That's God's design. And so, what God desires to do in your family, what God desires to do in this church and in this city, is going to start, it's going to be birthed from a place of prayer. That is why with all of my heart, with all of my voice, we need to be a people of prayer. We have got to be a church that prays. First and foremost, we have got to be a people of prayer. It is the most awesome thing, apart from salvation, apart from receiving the Holy Ghost, it is the most awesome thing that I can possibly imagine. Again, if you understand the tabernacle plan, this makes a little bit more sense. That I am allowed, not just allowed, but I am I am called into the Holy of Holies to spend time with God. That He wants me there with Him. In His presence. And that He hears me. And that He desires to spend time with me. I mean, that right there is, is amazing. It's, it's, I can't quite get my head around it. But then to think that he'll use me, he'll work through me to do these amazing spiritual things. Things that there's no possible way we could do. 
Just no way. But through God, we'll do all these amazing, wonderful things. Okay, moving on. Warfare praying exercises the power and the authority God has given us. I'm going to combine that with the next one. Warfare praying is violent. I use that word a lot uh, in the series, and I hope by now that you understand what I mean when I say that. Uh, not violent physically, violent spiritually. We take the promises of God. We reach out and we take them. We possess them. When we're praying, when we're praying for a soul, we're not praying, oh, Jesus, please save them, please save them. That's not warfare praying. It's better than nothing. Okay? But, may I suggest you get a little bit more importune. May I suggest you get a little bit more violent with your prayer. And take them, claim them for Jesus. Take possession of that, of that person. In the name of Jesus, when you're praying against spirits, speak directly to them. You don't have to be afraid of them. You don't have to be afraid of, of warfare praying. You don't have to. I've talked to people about this and, and they won't do it. They won't do it because if they start doing it, then they're going to get attacked. Yeah, I mean, immediately, a few things come to mind to say. And I guess I understand, you know, but the child of God does not have to be afraid of spirits. We don't have to be. Now, if you're not living for God, if you don't have the full armor of God put on, yeah, maybe. Maybe you should be a little concerned. But take care of it. And you're good to go. God has given you His power and His authority over every power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. We have that promise. He has given that to us. Again, not because we asked Him, not because we deserve it. He gave that to us. And He did, he did that for a reason. He wants us to exercise that in this economy. He wants us to exercise that in our families and in this city and in this church. That's why He gave it to us. And we need to be about His business. We need to be doing that. Okay, warfare, okay, we talked about warfare praying is exhausting. Every once in a while, when you get to praying, I, I've, I've heard people, uh, talk about this when you get into a time of of true intercessory prayer it is physically exhausting and i mean you know we see we see jesus praying in gethsemane and he began to to sweat drops of blood part of that was because of the intensity of his praying Our praying ought to be intense. Our praying ought to be life and death, because that's exactly what it is. When we're entering into this office, it is life and death for someone. Not us. If we're submitted to God and we're doing what He wants us to do, He comes now, we're going to make it. But there are a lot of people that aren't going to make it. And those are the ones that we're interceding for. We don't know when he's coming back. We're not guaranteed any time at all. In our lives or in this world. So we need to be intense in our praying. There are people that need to know this truth. And this world system and the enemy is against them knowing and they will do everything they can to throw up roadblocks, to throw up uh, detours and distractions. Have you ever noticed that when you, you finally get a Bible study scheduled, something comes up? Someone decides they're finally going to come to church and 
They can't make it for some reason? Do you know why that is? It's the enemy. It's the enemy that does that. And so when, when we're scheduling Bible studies and when we're inviting people to church, one of the things that we can pray for is, or against is that. That that doesn't happen. That the enemy stays away from them. Keep your grubby claws off of them. I'm claiming them for Jesus. You have no business with that person. Warfare praying is effective. It's effective because of all the above. And it's effective because we're trusting in Jesus Christ for an answer. Amen. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Again, there's, there's a lot packed in there. When we're praying, we ought to be righteous. Not our own righteousness, but clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to be fervent. And we need to trust God for an answer. Mark 11:24 says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. There are a few promises in the, in the Bible like this. Very open-ended promises. Blank checks, I like to call them. And they are mind-blowing. And when you consider the ramifications of these, you start to stumble a little bit and start to ask, is that really what that means? Is that really what he's saying? Yes, that is really what he's saying. Again, the quid pro quo is apply. We don't want to ask amiss. We want to ask according to the will of God, the plan of God. We want to be submitted to him, all of those things. But assuming all of those things, whatsoever we ask in prayer, if we believe that God is going to do that, if our, our trust is in him to answer the, the promise that he gave us, if our hope is in God, the one that gave the promise, then we're going to receive the answer. We are going to receive the answer. The alternative, as I see it, is it's not God's will for you to receive the answer. And if that's the case, then I have to wonder why he gave you that promise in the first place. In a lot of ways, I'm a very simple man. And I like to keep things simple. You can go as deep in Scripture as you want. The original Greek and Hebrew. Uh, we can talk about, you know, eschatology. Uh, we can talk about epistemology. We, you, know, you can go as deep as you want. Theologian stuff. Or you can keep it as simple so that a first grader can understand what God is saying to us. The promises of God are not very complex. They're not real complicated. He gave them to us or he didn't. If he didn't, then I apologize, I have completely wasted your time tonight. But if he did, then he gave them to all of us equally. And he intends to answer them every time we call on them. Amen. In conclusion, as warriors, as children of God, we must be practiced and comfortable in the heat of battle. We have got to get to the place where we're comfortable with this. Fighting against the enemy. The enemy is very comfortable fighting against us. I would prefer that he got a little bit uncomfortable. And we must never forget and always remember who we are in Jesus Christ. That we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We may feel like beggars at times. We may feel like 
God is a million miles away when I'm trying to pray. Uh, don't trust those feelings. That's all they are. Trust in the Word of God. Word of God says that He sticks closer than a brother. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And all of His resources are at our disposal. When I lived with my mom and dad, whatever I had need of was provided. And I didn't have to beg, and I didn't have to keep after them. They wanted to do that. They felt, I mean, it was crazy, they felt like it was their responsibility. They brought me into the world. Now I'm their responsibility. God brought you into the world. He did. He wants to be responsible. Amen. Let's not forget who we are in God. Let's all stand.